Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to this week's show, everyone. It is Thursday, August 9th, and the Red Sox are 81 and 34, 47 games above 500, nine games in front of the second place Yankees. So we're going to be talking a lot of Boston Red Sox because I love me some Bo Sox. We're also going to be talking about the I mean, big we're stakes talk races about this weekend. For a while. You didn't have to start the show. I, I, I want to talk all Red Sox. You know, you know I mean, how last week we did all. We're well, you know how last Red week we did all Raiders for an hour? I want to do all Red Sox for an hour. But, how about but how that? How fair is that when the Raiders and the Red Sox are both your teams and I want to talk about LeBron in a Laker jersey for the first time, which I think the world cares about a little bit more. So how about that, Mike? How about that, Mike, with the pictures of LeBron working out with the Laker jerseys on right now? You're not excited about that because I am. Lakers at Warriors on Christmas Day. The over-unders are out. They got the Lakers picked, I think, co-fourth. In the West, that's what I want to talk about for the first five minutes. You can't wait until like 11.30 to talk about the Red Sox or even 15 more minutes. I'll tell you what, I'll concede to, to talking a little Laker talk, but I won't concede <laughs> to the fact that more people want to talk about the Lakers than, than the Bo Sox. But we'll, we'll, we'll run with it. By the way, did you see how well, petty I mean, I, I'm the just Cleveland... I'm just going off of your tweet poll the other day when you talked about how the NBA and the NBA stars have... 10 times as many Twitter followers as the stars in baseball. So I'm just saying a lot more people know a Steph Curry than a Mookie Betts based on Twitter, right? I'm just going well, off. You know what's goal. interesting about that is it's actually way more than 10. It's, it's kind of weird. Mookie oh, Betts has like 130,000 followers or something like that. And NBA stars like, like Steph Curry have got like 10 million. So it's, it's not even in the same stratosphere. But I was pretty surprised no. that the, uh, the Twitter poll revealed that more people uh, found Betts to be, you know, kind of a – bigger star in his game than, than Steph Curry. I thought it was a little bit odd. I, I almost, yeah, I think in the last year or two, the, the, um, the narrative has really changed on the Warriors a bit, you know? They used they to kind be of become the enemy, the right? Team. Yeah, they used to be the lovable team, and then when Durant went there, they turned into to kind of the enemy now. Um, they, they're not the, the, the team that was the up-and-comer anymore. Now they're the the dynasty team that you try to beat. So I think that the narrative has changed a little bit on Curry. Yeah, he kind of comes off as a little bit cocky those... now, right? Like that's what people, before people thought he was kind of like small yeah. and cute and, and feisty and awesome. Now they kind of think he's a little arrogant and cocky. Yeah, I, I agree. I think so. And uh, I was a little surprised to see that. I mean, Mookie Betts has, has had an incredible year, but I think for me, it was, it's, it's hard to compare in two different sports, especially a sport like basketball, where one player can affect the game so much. But sure. for me, the winning, the winning aspect has to come into it at some point, right? I don't think as a baseball player you have to win 10 World Series, but, you know, just a guy like Clayton Kershaw, if he never wins one, that's going to be something that he's, you know, he's kind of remembered for. And so I don't necessarily think that's the case with all the baseball players and, and all the, the greats, but I think you've you got to win. And it, it's funny, a, a friend of mine who's a sports fan not a crazy sports fan, but a sports fan in, in L.A. It's something that we talked about when we were talking about Otani. They don't know Mike Trout, you know? And it's like, how do you not know Mike Trout if you're in L.A. 
and even if you're not really a sports fan, it's because, I mean, we, we just don't hear or see a lot about Mike Trout. And he might be one of the greatest players to ever play baseball. We just never see or never hear anything about him. It's so weird the way uh, baseball players are you know, advertised and promoted. They just, it hasn't been very good in the last 15, 20 years. I mean, even the recent you know, string of really good young ball players, we know so much more about the basketball players, the, the Giannis's and the, you know, the Kawhi's. And we even know about you know, Lonzo and what's going on with Jason Tatum. And he's working out with Kobe. We find out so much more about these these guys in basketball than we do ever in baseball. Well, and I think a lot of these things are cyclical, you know, and the NBA right now is probably a little bit more mainstream and popular than major league baseball. I remember when I was a kid, baseball cards were really popular. People oh, read dude, stats man. on the back of the cards. Everybody knew, you know, guys on every team. It was pretty commonplace. It's kind of like how the NBA is now. And it's kind of flip flopped, you know, it kind of went major league baseball, then NFL. Now I'd say it's transitioned to NBA. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of how long that trend lasts and does it revert or go to somewhere else. But I agree with you. Major League Baseball does not do a great job in terms of uh, marketing their superstars in any way, shape, or form. You know, they seem to, at least with the East Coast teams, right? And there's always that East Coast kind of bias. So, like, Bryce Harper is going to get a lot of due, you know, even though Trout, I think, is a much better ball player. You know, I don't think it really compares, to be honest with you. Uh, it, oh, n- not even close. Not even close. I mean, we... I, I always thought Harper's a little bit overrated. Uh, I, I mean, he, 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 no, he's, he's obviously a big presence, but I'm, he's got to do a little bit more. I, I need to see more from him, uh, obviously. And I'm not quite sure about his I – like, I love how he, the fire that he plays with, but I'm not sure attitude-wise if he's like necessarily a leader and a guy who inspires uh, other teammates. But it's, 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 it's definitely head-scratching you know, when, when you look around and, um, and you see just the difference between the way the sports have – Marketed. I mean, football does a great job. We know we know the studs in football. I mean, and we know the quarterbacks. We know the big wide receivers. We know some, the uh, the the very good defensive. You know, you could you could name fifteen or twenty football players that most people would be able to to know and find in a commercial. But it's like that's another thing. Do you see any baseball players like in commercials? Because I really don't. You know. You, no, but you, you know, know what football, though? You really basketball. don't see a lot of. But you don't see a lot of NFL guys yeah. either, though. I mean, you'll see Peyton Manning, you'll see the Mannings, you'll see the, you'll see Rogers, you'll see J.J. Watt, you know, you'll see uh, um, of Odell Beckham. Or, yeah, it's uh, probably like uh, it's probably uh, about five guys who kind of dominate yeah, like ninety percent of the commercials. I, mean, I don't see any baseball players like having campaigns or you know marketing or you know big advertising deals with other places. So that's what's always that's what's just interesting. It. Baseball and hockey are the two sports in the last 20 years. It's like, I, we don't hear anything about hockey anymore at all. It used to be... No, you know, from a marketing perspective, there's been more of a transition towards corporate sponsors affiliating and latching on to leagues and teams than players just in general overall outside the NBA, right? So you're more likely yeah. to see, you know, somebody affiliated with the Dodgers on a corporate sponsorship level than with Matt Kemp. Right, like that type of thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's so true. that's true. Uh, you that's see true. a lot more of that. The advertising yeah. dollars are huge for baseball. It just, like you said, it doesn't trickle down to the everyday player. Now I know you want to talk a little bit Lakers, and you want to talk, and we've already been dominating with baseball, and you want to talk a little bit about LeBron James. I don't know if you saw this, and I thought this was really petty by the Cleveland sports writers. But when the schedule came out, and I know you want to talk about that, and I'll let you uh, jump in with it. The schedule came out and said whenever the Lakers are going to play Cleveland Cavaliers. So in the local Cleveland papers, they wrote something along the lines of 
Lonzo Ball and the Lakers come to the queue <laughs> on whatever date it is, like November, whatever, let's say November 20th. Yeah, and there's no that's mention great. of LeBron James. And that's, that's obviously a like big F you, you know what I mean? I thought that was kind of petty, that's but I also great. thought it was kind of funny. Oh, that's so great. Oh, that's that's, that's hilarious. Although I, I, they haven't really been very petty so far. They did. Cause I mean, if, I think if you're Cleveland this time, it's a little bit different because he came back, he won for you. Um, he got you what you, what you needed. And now he's kind of mo- he's and now he's moving on. I'm sure you're sad and bitter and and upset as a fan. I would be too. And you always we always are when someone leaves. But I, I don't think it's as it is like the vitriol and the hate that there was the first time around. But little yeah, there's the animosity or anything fun. like that. Yeah, we, we don't see the burning of the jerseys and that kind of thing that we did. But it is fun when they take the low. I loved it that kind of thing. I think taking an inside shot like that is great. You know, oh, we 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 forgot LeBron's on the Lakers now, right? Oh, we were just talking about Lonzo. <laughs> you know, that's just, I I love that. That's yeah, that's it's funny. I think that that's really funny. Yeah, it, it is. And you know, it's just going to be a fun as a uh, as a Laker fan. This is just great. And we've talked about it with you know with the Dodgers, with the Red Sox, with the Yankees. Um, it's similar with the Cowboys, with the Steelers, with the Patriots. Uh, it's similar with the Celtics, with the Lakers, um, hopefully with the Knicks. When these big franchises are good, whether or not they win it all, just when they're good, it's way better for the sport. Because it gets more people talking. It gets more people interested. Because when I mention something about the Lakers, I'm going to have a few people that are going to agree with me. But more than anything, I'm going to have a lot of people that come at me. And not come at me, but just want to disagree. Oh, I hate the Lakers. They stink. LeBron's no good. Lonzo stinks. Kuzma's over. Which is fun. I love that it sparks an interest because a year ago, nobody would really care anything that I would say about the Lakers when they're not that good. So yeah. And when they're not that good. Yeah, exactly. Nobody really cares. It's, nobody cares. you know, yeah, let me piggyback on that point, by the way, I was just going to say when you're talking about the big teams in each of the sports and they're just so much more meaningful, people get behind it. There's a lot more conversation. It's good for the sport. There was a stat through 2010, which showed that every single year in history, that the Yankees won the World Series, the stock market went on a run. Every single year, the Yankees hosted the World Series trophy. The stock market went on a crazy run afterwards. Just kind of shows you the attitude of the New Yorkers and stuff. People get behind it. People love it, you know? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good stat. That's a good number. Yeah. I want, uh, the, the New Yorkers, I will say, because we'll kind of make the transition soon because I know we're going to start to shift over. They can't be really, really happy right now with, uh, with what's going on. And it's, it's got to be a little frustrating to be a, a Yankee fan right now because you keep looking up and you keep going, well, our team's not playing bad right now, but you're nine games behind the Red Sox in the AL East. And, you know, you can't really relax because you would figure where the Yankees are, oh, wow, they've definitely got a wild card locked up. But, you know, they've got a couple injuries right now. They can't go through, like, a week or two lull because Oakland, the Athletics, who just split a series with the Dodgers, this is a, that's a good baseball team, man. They are rolling. If Oakland and Seattle, you know, have, like, a good, a good couple weeks and the Yankees go on just a cold week, they, they could have a, a really crazy year where they win a ton of games and, for somehow, and somehow either not getting a home wild card game or maybe not even making a wild card because there are some really good teams in the American League. I don't know if you got a chance to watch any of the A's and the Dodgers the last couple nights, Mike. Man, they were some really good baseball games, and they split. It was a, a tight game where they, 
uh, you know, uh, last night well, Machado made a good play and just ball, ball came out of Grandall's glove, and that was really the difference. It was a good game. It felt like a playoff game. The atmosphere was crazy. Um, it was just every pitch seemed really intense. And I'm telling you, Oakland is a good team. This team is not, it's not one of those you you can't know, sleep uh, on them. flash in the pan teams. They no, are not very, at all. very good. They have a strong bullpen at the end. So, I mean, if, if they're in the game in like the sixth inning, they're going to be very, very tough to, to, you know, to come back from, especially if they're up on you. They're one of those lineups where you, they, their lineup just keeps coming and you keep scratching your head looking at every one of them, and you don't really know any of them nationally. They're not big, sexy names, but they're all just studly, and it's, just, it's, it's very Moneyball. You know, it's, it's very what the, what the A's have always done. Yeah, the, the A's are tremendous. I love seeing small market teams do well. You know, anybody that's listened to the show has heard me say that many, many times. So they've got 68 wins, tremendous season so far. Really, to me, it, it is head-scratching, like you said, especially with that pitching staff. I mean, a lot of their really, really good prospects, you know, and the A's always bring up guys that end up doing really well and leaving in free agency. And by the way, I would say that the A's have been tremendous at knowing when to let the guys go. They always get the peak years out of the guys and they usually don't replicate that when they go off on free agency. But my point is they're, they're, they're top pitching prospects going into the season. Um, A lot of them are hurt. And so they've had to have like this makeshift starting rotation. They brought even like Edwin Jackson in and guys like that. And they've done really well. Uh, I don't know if that's a, a formula for playoff success, but to your point about the Yankees and they can't really have a lull for a week or two. The problem is if they have to go to either Oakland or Seattle for an extra game, the wild card game, and just one game too, and one and a one game playoff. Even if they win, now they got to come all the way back from that long road trip, a one game series to face the Red Sox. So I'm interested to hear uh, Matt's thoughts and- about that and. Since he's uh, already with us, let's bring him in. I'm talking about the athletics. Matthew Corey, who covers the Red Sox, does a tremendous job for them. Matt, uh, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. You're on with Mike and Gino, and uh, we're we're eager to talk a little Red Sox baseball. I'm not sure if you heard maybe a, a little bit about what we were just talking about, but you know, the Yankees obviously looking up at the Red Sox. The Sox have a nine-game lead. They've got 81 wins. The Yankees, you know, obviously they got just absolutely annihilated last weekend in the four-game sweep. But in keeping things in perspective, they've got 71 wins, which would be enough to lead every division in the majors outside of the West with the Astros having 73 wins. You know, I I just first want to ask you, do you think that it's time maybe for Major League Baseball to look at changing the format of the playoffs and maybe go into a seeding rather than having the situation where you have maybe the two best teams, one wins a division, one gets a wild card, and it's such a big discrepancy as to the benefit? That's an interesting question. I, I, I mean, you know, the way things are now is, is sort of, you know, historically based. You know, we started with two leagues, and, you know, they got together to play the World Series, and then at a certain point, I guess in the 60s, they, you know, they did divisions, and then they decided that that was too many teams, and then they did more divisions and added a wild card. And so, you know, that certainly isn't off the table, you know, a radical realignment of the playoffs. My guess is it would come, uh, you know, when, uh, if and when they add more teams. Uh, I know they've been talking about adding one, uh, you know, in Portland, Oregon, and eventually back in Montreal. And, you know, that, that kind of 
talk is, is sort of bubbling to the surface in baseball. And my guess is, you know, sometime in the next 10, 15 years, we'll, we'll have more teams. And that, that kind of thing could happen then. But, you know, to, to your point about this year, uh, no, uh, the Yankees are a great team. You know, they're, they're probably the second best team in the American League. Uh, and that's just, uh, you know, <laughs> that's the way the cookie crumbles. The Red Sox have been behind the Yankees for decades. Um, you know, good teams that just get caught up behind a great team. And so, you know, that's, that's the kind of, I don't know, that's just the way it works. And, you know, the Yankees are going to be favored in any wild card scenario they're in. Uh, they get through the wild card one game in Yankee Stadium, right, probably. And then, uh, then they're, they're essentially exactly where the Red Sox are. They just have to get through that one extra game. So, um, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think the way it's set up right now is, is, is fine. I wouldn't be surprised if baseball tries to mess with it, but, uh, but I think it's okay. Yeah, so let's let's start at the top here and just talk about the job that Alex Cora has done. You know, they have, you know, most of the same pieces as last year. Obviously, you know, this year they needed to kind of find that solution for missing the big bat of Big Poppy, David Ortiz, and they found that with yeah. J.D. Martinez. But, you know, overall, the team's makeup isn't that different than last year. So from what you've seen, heard, and read what have been the biggest differences between Farrell and Cora, and why, why is he seeing so much success? Is, I mean, it can't just be J.D. Martinez's bat, can it? No, I don't think it is just J.D. Martinez's bat. I mean, that's a significant aspect of it, right? I mean, we're talking about an MVP candidate in the American League. Um, I don't think that he should win the MVP based on what he's done so far, but I think he's, you know, he's definitely in the discussion. So that's a, that's a huge addition. Um, but as far as you know, Cora goes, yeah, he's definitely changed the, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the feel in the clubhouse. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of young guys uh, on that team that, that, you know, I think he has done a better job of connecting with than, than John Farrell did. Um, but I, I'm sort of hesitant to, to say, well, it's, it's all Alex Cora, too. I mean, John Farrell's a World Series winning manager. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, this is a young team, so you, you would expect them to take steps forward. And I think, I think this, this, what they're doing now, I, I was sort of expecting, you know, not, not 700 ball in the middle of August, but, uh, but I was expecting players like Betts and Benatendi and Bogarts to, to do stuff like they're doing this year, last year. Um, and for varying reasons, they did it. You know, Bogarts had injuries. Ben Attendee was his first you know, full season in, in the majors, and I think uh, you know, he had a little, a little bit of uh, adjustment issues. Um, and, you know, Betts, we've talked a lot about his approach, hitting the ball in the air more. Um, but I think there's also just a maturation as a, as a, as a hitter um, that's, that's happened. So um, I, I think, uh, you know, undoubtedly Alex Cora has, has been an improvement. Um, how much of one... It's so hard to say that these are, are, you know, nebulous kind of things. Um, you know, the, the team is winning a ton, so he's got to get credit for that. Um, but it's, it's hard to screw up a clubhouse when you're winning 70% of the time. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess that's where I, where I kind of fall. I, you know, I, I think uh, on the whole, it, a change was needed, um, but um, I'm more more likely to give the credit to the players than I am to a manager. 
we're getting ready to take a quick break, but I just want to ask you one question before uh, before we do, and hopefully we can hold on to you for uh, through the break and keep talking some Red Sox. You mentioned sure, sure. the wind the wind pace right now they're going at. In when you you look at this team, they are pretty deep and pretty well balanced. What do you think the the weakness is? There a position or maybe towards the back of the bullpen? Um, maybe like the start I, the starting rotation now after a couple moves seems pretty set. I mean, second base now with Kinsler maybe coming back also seems a little more set. I'm trying to find a weakness in this team, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Where is something that kind of worries you the most about this Red Sox team? Well, I think anytime you're talking about baseball, you're talking about injuries. You know, I mean, the Red Sox for the depth that they have. Uh, well, if Chris Sale is is legitimately hurt, and it doesn't sound like he is, if, if he that happens, uh, that's a huge problem. Um, the same as you know, Mookie Betts. Uh, Betts has played a lot. He's not an injury prone player, but uh, he has had some, you know, some dings and nicks over the last years. Um, so I think any of any of those players would be, be you know, a huge loss. Yeah, I'm sort of. Hey, hey Matt, to, we're uh, having we're having some connection issues yeah. with you. Let's let's take our break right now and then see if we can get that uh, corrected. Uh, you know, if you guys stay with us a few short minutes, we'll be back with Matt Corey from The Athletic with good, clean sound. Stay with us. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Mike and Gino here talking with Matt Corey from The Athletic, covers the Boston Red Sox. So we're talking about the first place team in the American League East, team that's on a historic win pace right now. Not just are they on a historic win pace, but their individual players are doing really, really well. I posed the question, you know, can they get a near sweep of all the AL uh, hardware? Let me piggyback right. on that, Mike. Yeah, that's okay, a question for Matt. 
are are they going to are they going to cannibalize each other in, a, in an MVP vote? Like, are Mookie and JD going to hurt each other's chances because they might split the vote? We've seen this happen before with like really good teams. Yeah, I mean, it can totally happen. I I don't know. I, I think my bigger concern, you know, as far as MVP goes, is that Mike Trout's actually been better. Uh, and so <laughs> I think that, yeah. uh, that may, that may siphon off some votes. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I would vote for Trout. I don't have a vote, but I would, I would vote for Trout. Uh, I was just going to ask you if, if you've got a vote now, if, if you did have a vote, Matt, would, would being a 500 team like the angels are at 58 and 58 second to the last place team in that division weigh into your kind of calculations as to how you factor it versus, you know, bets, or J.D. Martinez being on not just a first-place team, but, I mean, a really, really dominating first-place team? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I, the way I interpret it is, you know, the most valuable player is the best player. Uh, and I, I don't penalize uh, players for being on a team that's not as good uh, as, as another team for in another way of saying it, penalizing a, play, a good player for their bad teammates. Um, that doesn't seem fair to me. So, yeah, that, that's the short version. Um, but isn't there, I, I there a flip side to that, though? Like, you're not necessarily penalizing, but you're, you're rewarding maybe the guy on the first-place team for probably having more intense at-bats. You know, Gino, before you came out, and was talking about the intensity on every pitch between the Dodgers and the A's. Very meaningful game for both teams. So, you know, yeah. you got like a playoff-like atmosphere. You know, Betts and, and Martinez, you know, especially like last weekend, for example, they had to to come out winning that series or at least splitting with the Yankees so they don't lose any grounds. They've got some meaningful games. I don't know how, when's the last time that the Angels, you know, were considered themselves to be in the thick of the race, you know, maybe late May or something like that until Otani <laughs> had to shut it down. You know, once Otani yeah. shut it down, I think that everybody kind of knew, and they've had a lot of injuries and stuff too, but, and I'm not taking anything away from Trout, but, you know, there is that kind of component in my mind at least where I'm like, you know what? it's maybe a little bit easier to kind of exhale and be relaxed in the batter's box when uh, it doesn't mean a whole hub, heck of a lot. Yeah, you know, I, that's, that's possible. Um, having never stood in a major league batter's box, it's sort of hard for me to, to you know, agree or disagree on that one. Um, but you got to remember, go too, Matt, what, that you know, Mike's a big see. Red Sox oh, sorry, fan. Go you got to remember that yes. Mike's a big Red Sox fan, so he's really towing that yeah. line right now, too. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> I'm lobbying. I'm making a case here, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I think, I think you can make yeah. a case for, you know, for Beck, certainly, you know, on, on, the, on the numbers. Uh, you know, just offensively and defensively. And then, you know, obviously what he brings to the team on a day-to-day basis, even, uh, you know, as far as leadership and, and uh, you know, grittiness and, and other sort of, you know, non-numeric uh, things that, that he does. Um, I, I think he's, he's right there. You know, I would go with Trout, uh, but, you know, it, it's like a, a 60-40 kind of thing, 55-45. It's, it's really close. And you can make a case for, uh, you know, Jose Ramirez or Lindor uh, as well. I mean, those, those guys have been, have been fantastic also, and the Indians are a first-place team. So, you know, we, we may be talking more about them when it gets into September. Yeah, no, valid, valid point, and, and I don't want to, you know, sway your opinion in any way, but I mean, when I'm looking at the numbers, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make one more case out of here. So, so I'm looking at it, and I see, like, Betts has uh, the advantage on hits, uh, on, on doubles, on triples. Uh, they're pretty close in home runs, 26 for Betts, 30 for Trout, very close in RBIs, 58 and 60. Uh, Betts, they're close in steals, but Betts has the advantage there. You know, it's, and, and to me, 
340 batting average for somebody with so much pop versus 309 with Trout. It, it, it's a tough call. I, I, I hear you. But, you know, I hear a lot of people giving the advantage to Trout, and I'm kind of like wondering why. I know in the, the war numbers, he's got an advantage 7.8 versus 7.1. You know, um, 60 40, I, I suppose, is fair. So I'm not going to come down on you too hard here, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, no, uh, the next question Trout is walking. But Trout is walking twice as much as, as Betts is. And I think that's, that's part of, you know, like you were talking about, um, you know, with uh, being on a, on a lesser team, probably doesn't have a line of protection behind him. Um, so you've got to credit him for not, not chasing pitches out of the zone, not trying to make something, you know, happen that isn't there. Um, and, you know, the numbers are slightly different, uh, but, you know, the, 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 the total accumulation of, of value, I think, is pretty similar. So... You, sure. you could definitely uh, you know, sway me on bets, uh, and we've got you know we've got time to go. This is not the season's not over. Um, after the the trade deadline now with Evaldi coming in, I, I was curious if everything is perfect for the Red Sox, sales good, no injury issues. How do you think the rotation is going to set up now? With you know, likely we'll see Sale, and then behind Sale, what order do you think we would see maybe in games two, three, four for the Red Sox? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think people have been talking about putting Price in the bullpen. I, I don't love that idea. He's been pitching really well. He's had a couple stinkers. Um, but I think on the whole, he's, he's you know, their second or third best starting pitcher. Um, you know, uh, I, I, think, uh, I think you're probably looking at Porcello 2, Price 3, you know, Ivaldi 4. And, you know, you don't really, I guess you don't really go any deeper than that. Um, that's that's what I do right now. Yeah, yeah and they've gotten some good innings out of Eduardo Rodriguez as well. You know, I, I think that's the one thing that uh, you keep the word the one word you keep hearing is is depth. You know, and mm-hmm. and I think that's that's what makes the Red Sox uh, tough. You know, even if one of their starters goes down, you know, when they go into a postseason series, you know, if Chris Sale can do his thing, you know, you're you're in pretty good shape with Porcello and and, and Price and. And like Gino mentioned, Ivaldi's really, really uh, come on pretty strong first couple outings thus far. I think he's up a run. No, I mean, he's just been... Right, right? That's 15 innings, yeah. Yeah, 15 innings, yeah, uh, seven, seven, seven hits allowed, and only, one, and only one walk. So he's been really, really dominant in, uh, in his first two outings at least. You know, one other guy that I wanted to mention, and I, Matt, when you and I spoke a little bit yesterday, I, I brought his name up. I always like kind of the underdog stories. Uh, the guys that maybe didn't have the easy route, you know, in terms of uh, being a high draft pick, short stint in the minors, get up to the majors by the time they're 22, 23, 24. I'm talking about Ryan Brazier. Now, Ryan Brazier mm-hmm. is 31 years old, last threw a pitch several years ago for the uh, Angels back in 2013. Went back to the minors, had to go to Japan, and then got the call up to come back. I, I guess he's almost 31. He's actually 30. Um, but he's been really, really good out of the bullpen. He's pitched in 12 games as a 1-3-2 ERA, uh, has almost as many strikeouts as innings pitched, and he's kind of been a seeker weapon. And uh, I was reading in The Athletic, uh, Ken Rosenthal wrote a piece where Dave Dombrowski was quoted saying, this was as good as a trade deadline acquisition. What can you tell us about Ryan Brazier? Well, you touched on a lot of the major points. I mean, I think the thing that, you know, really stood out to me is how hard he throws. Uh, you know, he's 96, 97, uh, you know, with the fastball. And uh, he's, he's definitely, I mean, he, he also gets a ton of ground balls. I think that's the other 
the other thing that I've, that I've noticed. Um, now, I would note two things. One is we're talking about 13 innings. Um, and the other thing is he's really not struck a lot of guys out. Um, I haven't looked at swing and miss numbers, so that, you know, that could be just, just the way that, uh, you know, the, the, the order has been a little off and maybe he is getting swings and misses. Um, his strikeouts are not what you'd like to see out of a guy coming in later in the game uh, so far. Um, but he does have the velocity and he does get ground balls. So, you know, he definitely has some, some value coming out of the pen. Um, and, you know, the Red Sox don't need another Craig Kimball. They already have one. So, and Matt Barnes has stepped up really well. Uh, he's, he's been an elite reliever as well. So, I, you know, having, having Brazier come out of the pen, uh, Brazier, I don't know how you say it, uh, out of the pen, uh, you know, sixth, seventh inning. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice, nice to have. And, and, uh, it didn't cost him anything too, which is. Awesome. Yeah. And it kind of, it kind of makes up for, uh, Tyler Thornburg, not really being what they thought he was going to be when, the, the, when, when they acquired him. Well, we'll see. Uh, I mean, it could. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a short, short time better. table so far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thornburg has looked better to me recently. I know he, uh, gave up some hits. Like, I want to take the Yankees. Um, but, uh, but I, I've been, I've been more impressed with him, uh, of recent. I'm still, I, first of all, I'm just impressed he's back on the mound after what he went through, but sure. he may be a, a guy that, uh, you know, just needs the off season to go back into you know, sort of regular, uh, training, you know, routine, uh, kind of stuff and, and get his body going, uh, and, and come back to spring training and, and be more of what he was, you know, in Milwaukee before he came to the Red Sox. Uh, that we'll, we'll see. But, but yeah, having, uh, however you say his name, <laughs> Brazier, uh, I don't know why that's so hard for me, uh, come out of the It, pen, it is for me, uh, too. It doesn't roll off the tongue very easily. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah, he's, a, he's an interesting-looking guy, too. He doesn't, he doesn't really look like an athlete, um, and he does this odd kind of neck bend thing when he stands on the mound, like he's looking at you kind of quizzically, like he doesn't understand what you're, at, what you're trying to tell him. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> Maybe that's a secret weapon. It's a, it throws yeah, you off, right? <laughs> Batters are looking at him like, what? What do you do? Oh, darn it. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Well, hey, before we let you go, Matt, I want to ask you, in your opinion, do you think the Mariners' 116 win total, the American League record, is safe? Or do you think the Sox are going to really make a push for it and, and not sit players with maybe a week to go in the season to try to go after it? It's kind of the same situation that maybe uh, Steve Kerr was in with the Warriors a few years back. You know, how do you think the Red Sox are going to approach it? And ultimately, do the Red Sox take down the record? Oh man, it would be that would be a, a, a fun thing to see. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. My, my guess is that they won't, and the reason why is they have been a little banged up. Guys like Bogart, uh, you know, guys like Beth. Um, and it wouldn't shock me if, uh, you know, Cora started resting some of his better guys, uh, you know, towards the last week or two of the season. Um, I, the other thing about it is, and I, you know, I haven't asked Alex Cora this uh, directly, but my sense is that he doesn't care about a record like that. Like, he wants to win the World Series, but he's quite happy to win the World Series after winning 110 games, uh, which I think, you know, that would be fine also. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I, I don't think you get an opportunity like this too often, so I would like to see them really try. Uh, but I, my guess is that they'll sit, guys. Yeah, you know, and their wins have kind of almost come 
kind of effortless and they just keep rolling. So who knows? Maybe it just kind of organically kind of happens. You know, who knows? They may get to 100 win, the 100 win mark before September even crosses uh, the calendar. So, you know, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see about that. Matt, you know, I could talk about the Red Sox with you all day long, but we're up against it here. So why don't you tell our listeners where they can follow you and read your quality, great quality work? And I'm, I'm a big fan, by the way, so I'll be the first to admit that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, just go to theathletic.com uh, slash Boston. That's where I am. That's where um, Jen McCaffrey, Chad Jennings, uh, we're all covering the Red Sox there. Um, and, uh, you know, if you, don't, uh, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, man, what are you waiting for? It's, uh, it's a fantastic site. There are uh, – it's not, not even just, you know, for me and, and, and the Red Sox. You can read about – I think they've, they're covering 28 of the 30 Major League Baseball teams in depth every day. Um, NFL, NBA, NHL. Uh, I've been really enjoying their hockey coverage, um, even in the off season. So yeah, it's fantastic. You can get a free week, uh, I believe it is. Um, just go to theathletic.com and, and there's a there's a, a link to it there. Um, but yeah, come check us out. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, at Matty two thousand. I post most of my articles there. Um, yeah, and for any for any of our yeah. listeners, we tweeted out a link, obviously, to this show, and and we'll retweet it again with uh, Matt's information so that you could follow him, and uh, we'll also retweet the on-demand version of this show as well. Matt, thank you so much. We hope we can connect with you Thanks, maybe Matt. a little bit later on in the playoff run here and talk some Red Sox baseball with you again. Love to do it, guys. Outstanding. Thanks so much, Matt. All right, take care, guys. Thanks. Gino, we got a huge weekend in racing coming up. Why don't we bring Andrew Champagne in so we could say a quick hello and then um, get some small talk out of this the way and take a commercial perfect. break right after that. This so, is perfect. Before, before we talk to races, I want to pick his brain on something that he actually texted me about this morning. So let's I do think it. We have Andrew. I think we have Andrew on the line. Andrew, if you're there, um, can you confirm that these races this weekend at Saratoga are actually going to be run at the correct distances? <laughs> oh, dear Lord, what a mess. Um, so for those of you who are unaware, uh, this is per Equibase's Dave Litson and Daily Racing Forum's David Grenning. Uh, it broke this morning that Wednesday's fifth race, which was originally carded for a mile and a sixteenth on turf and actually featured a pretty impressive performance by a horse named Some Like It Hot Brown, was actually run at a mile and an eighth. Now, call me crazy on this, and I'm sure some people will, but if a race is listed with a distance of a mile and a sixteenth, racing fans should be able to expect a race at that distance. It's certainly not a good situation, and there are a lot of people on social media that are naturally incredibly ticked off at this whole situation. It's ugly, and it's my hope that this does not happen again. No doubt yeah, about it. It's what an embarrassment, especially we're talking about a big circuit like like Naira, the, the, the big meet at Saratoga. I mean, for this to happen is an absolute embarrassment. Let's pick up on that after the first commercial break, Andrew. We wanted to bring you in to say hello. Let's ask our listeners to just hang tight, and then we'll get to all the stakes races with Andrew Champagne. We'll be back right after this brief timeout. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Thunder chickens beware, we're coming for ya. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, it's all about the Spring Gobbler Smackdown and our panel of pros are out for beards. Joining us is David Blanton of Bill Jordan's Realtree Outdoors and Monster Bucks, outdoor writer M.D. Johnson, and Pete Muller from the National Wild Turkey Federation. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. We're back talking racing with Andrew Champagne from the Daily Racing Forum, also andrewchampagne.com. You could read his work. He's put in a lot of work for this uh, weekend's big stakes races. Which uh, card are you most excited about, and where do you want to start, Andrew? Well, I think Gino wanted to start off with uh, the tail of the cat on Friday, and then we can go into yeah. the Saturday programs at Saratoga yeah, and Arlington, both of which are excellent. Yeah. Um, the t- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, let's just go in order. Saturday, we probably won't spend as much time on that Friday stakes race. It's just a short field in the tail of the cat. But um, but on paper, it's a field of five, and it looks like they all want to kind of press or be close to the lead. There is a good amount of speed in there. So you were really looking for, like, an off-the-pace horse or who's going to be able to get the trip kind of sitting back and making the late run. Well, it's a good field. Uh, it's a field that is not exactly heavy on numbers, but these are good sprinters. This could conceivably be a grade three race almost anywhere else in the country. But yeah, you're right. There's a ton of speed on paper, and if you find a closer, you've probably found the winner. Uh, I'll take number five, Always Sunshine, on top. This is a hard-knocking sprinter who's shown that he can rate a little bit. He exits a nice win in a similar level stakes race at Delaware Park. And there's nothing wrong with his race two back where he couldn't keep up with Imperial Hinn and Whitmore. Those are top-notch sprinters. And I think Always Sunshine could be the one that sits an ideal trip. The other horse that I'm interested in is number two, Mr. Crow, who comes out of the grade one Vanderbilt. He helped set a very fast pace that day. And we all remember how impressive Imperial Hint was when he ran away with that race. These are shallower waters. And Mr. Crow ran a couple of bang-up races here at Saratoga last year. Those are the two that I would probably focus on. And even though it's a field of five, it's tough to see who the betting favorite is going to be. So we might luck out and get a bettable price on those horses. That's your Friday stakes race at Saratoga. And then I, I will say as we kind of transition into Saturday, genuinely with the debate between Del Mar and Saratoga, and I think in the last few years in particular, the, the people who, who, who put their hat in the Saratoga ring will say the racing quality is usually a little bit better at Saratoga. The fields are a little bit bigger and a little bit deeper. 
but, you know, whether it be some rain or just the fact that Del Mar has done a really good job in the first few weeks of the meet, a lot of these stakes races have been not very deep, not necessarily very sexy. Um, even, even Saturday uh, at Saratoga, we have a couple stakes races. They're, the quality isn't bad. There's just not a ton of depth. That, it's, a, it's really a problem that we've seen in, in racing the last couple of years in general. We're not getting big fields really in a lot of the big stakes races, but we have a grade two Adirondack, and these races are really fun. Uh, we'll see the best pal out here on the West Coast, and we'll see Instagram, who's been one of the more impressive two-year-olds. And we, we see a lot of progression from start one to start two. So when you have a field like this, um, all these horses showed speed in their debut. Who do you got to lean to in this uh, Adirondack on Saturday? Well, really quickly, just to address your initial point, the issue of not as much quantity in at the top level, that's an issue that's been permeating throughout the game with regard to the full crops going downhill. Finger Lakes actually had to cancel their Saturday card due to a lack of entries. This isn't just an issue oh, that's that, affecting yeah. top-level stakes races. This is an issue that's affecting racing in general, and it's one of the problems that the sport needs to address at some point sooner rather than later. Circling back to the Adirondack, this is a fun race. You have six second-time starters that all won their debuts. The one that I'm most intrigued by is number three, Lyrical Lady, who's trained by Steve Asmussen and will be ridden by Ricardo Santana Jr., those two have been lights out at this Saratoga meet. They won everything in sight the first two weeks of the meet. Uh, Lyrical Lady debuted with a 75 buyer speed figure. She went five and a half furlongs in 104 and one. She's bred to be a good one, and I think she's the horse to beat. The horse that I'm also a little bit intrigued by, maybe not necessarily in the Adirondack, but moving forward as a long-term, two-turn prospect, is number five, Virginia Eloise. This is a Todd Pletcher trainee that is bred to go as long as they can possibly card races. She is by Curlin and out of an AP Indy mare. The six and a half furlongs may actually be a bit too long for some of the other runners in this field. I think it might be a little short for Virginia Eloise, and I think that she is a horse to watch, maybe not necessarily in the Adirondack, but moving forward to races like the Frisette, like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. I think she's a horse that's going to want as much ground as possible. Moving on to the grade one four-star Dave, another, you know, smallish type of field here. Um, You know, it's a pretty decent field overall from top to bottom. And I think the odds kind of reflect that, you know, uh, two to one to eight to one. But most of them are kind of sitting in that three to four to one type of range. Uh, How do you see this race unfold, uh, Andrew? It's going to be fascinating out of the gate to see which of the two main pace setters is faster going into the first turn. You have Heart to Heart, who arguably has never been better than he is right now. And you also have Voodoo Song, who may have been the horse of the meet last year when he won four times at Saratoga. Those two horses need the lead in order to run well, and they may run their eyeballs out doing it. We could very well see a first quarter of 22 and change, a half and 45 and change that could result in a very fast time for this race. And it could also be very friendly to the closers in this race. The one that I want is number two, Delta Prince, who up until a couple months ago may have been better known as Royal Delta's younger brother. But Delta Prince is coming into his own. He won the grade two King Edward last time out at Woodbine. Granted, Woodbine form doesn't necessarily translate elsewhere, 
but Delta Prince has run well at Naira Turf courses in the past, and I think he could get first run on these horses. The other closer that I'll keep an eye on is Divisadero, who will run in the four-star Dave rather than running in the Arlington Million. Now, the inner turf course at Saratoga is usually very kind to speed, very tight turns, a shorter-than-usual stretch, but given the way this race is likely to play out, I think Delta Prince is going to have first run at the two pace setters turning for home, and I think Divisadero could be in the garden spot, and the faster they go up front early, the more Divisadero is going to like it. To close things out on Saturday at Saratoga, it is the Lure, which this was scheduled for last week, I believe, right, Andrew? And they had to reschedule when they, uh, when they, when there was all the rain and there were some stakes races at the end. So the field looks a little bit different um, in uh, in this hundred thousand dollars stakes race. What's the overview of this one? Well, you're right about that. It was rescheduled from last Saturday due to inclement weather at Saratoga, and that was unfortunate because I liked a six to one shot in that race that is not running in this race on Saturday. Uh, Ticonderoga opted to run in an optional claimer on Thursday, so unfortunately I need to go elsewhere. However, I think I've landed on a horse that may be a bit of a price, and that's number five, Mr. Cub, who could very well be the lone speed in this race. He was third last time out in the grade two wise Dan at Churchill Downs, beaten less than a length by Mr. Misunderstood, who's a very good turf horse from the Brad Cox barn, And I think Mr. Cub may be tough if he's allowed to dictate the terms early on. The other price horse that I think could have a shot is number seven, Conquest Panthera. This is a horse that has not won in a while. And usually I don't like betting horses like that on top if they've shown a habit of running second or third. But he's been facing much better horses of late. He was third behind Delta Prince in the King Edward last time out, and he's shown that he can be a bit more forwardly placed if the situation calls for it. They're going to be going fairly slow early on, I think, and I think Conquest Panthera could set a surprising trip at a bit of a price beneath Luis Saez, who is riding as well as anybody at Saratoga. Good stuff over at Saratoga from Andrew. We probably have about five minutes left or so, Andrew. So we'll move over to Arlington, and we'll talk about the uh, the big, big day at Arlington Park, where it's uh, the Arlington Million Day. So we're going to have the Secretariat, the Beverly D, and the Arlington Million. And there is a legit shot this year, Andrew, that Chad Brown can win all three of these races. I mean, you start in the Secretariat, and you have Analyze It, who has just been unlucky in his last two really to be defeated by Catholic boy those have been the only defeats in his career so he's only lost to one horse who's a very very nice one and as far as the shippers in this race are concerned I just don't see anyone to me that really is that scary I thought analyze it really does look kind of like a standout in here Um, maybe a couple of other horses to include but I I really think this race goes through him I tend to agree. Uh, analyze it, ran into Catholic Boy twice, and before that was incredibly impressive. He's got tactical speed in a race that doesn't seem to have much of it elsewhere. And of the Chad Brown trainees that are running at Arlington on Saturday, I think he's the most likely winner. Number 13, Hunting Horn, was an okay third in the Belmont Derby, sort of one-paced, and I would like him a little bit more if not for the far outside post position. The price that I'm going to use underneath Analyze It is number 10 Sniper Kitten, who's won three straight for Mike Maker and is bred to handle this distance. I think he'll be moving the right direction late at a bit of a price, and I think he wants this trip. He's 12-1 to on the morning line. I hope we get that price, and I think he can crash the exotics and drive those payoffs up a bit. 
Yeah, just about three, four minutes left for us as we move into the Beverly D. And again, you have to start with Chad Brown and sister Charlie, who won the Diana last out. Um, he's just absolutely loaded again in this field. Inflexibility is a horse who I think can sit a good trip. He has four-star crook who would be no shock. But you also think a horse uh, that ran well in this race last year deserves a look, and that's Donna Brua. That's for sure. Donna Brua has a lot of tactical speed. She's been on the lead in her last two starts. I don't necessarily think she wants to be on the lead. I think she's best with a target in mind, and I think she could sit a great stalking trip behind Inflexibility, who, yes, she's good. I'm not going to use the term rabbit, but I do think she's in the race to at least ensure that there is some pace signed on. Dona Brua is 6-1 to one on the morning line. I think she offers a bit of value, and I think her best race could absolutely win this. Number three sister, Charlie, may be the best female turf horse in the country right now, but it's a little bit curious that Chad Brown brings her back this quickly when he usually takes his time. Chad Brown is a guy that will usually run his top-notch horses once every two, two and a half months. He does not rush his horses back. Now, that could be a sign that the horse is doing incredibly well and the Diana didn't take anything out of her. It could also be a little bit on the greedy side, and it's an atypical move. So I think the 9-5 to five is a little bit short. She could certainly win. But between the lack of real early pace up front and the quick turnaround, I do think she's a bit beatable here. I'm going to use her, but Dona Bruja is the main horse, and hopefully we get a bit of a price home there. And then lastly, we obviously have the big race at Arlington Park, the Arlington Million, and you're keying in on two of the really logical contenders. Uh, Obviously, like Gino mentioned, Chad Brown is bringing in a bunch of really good horses for this card. He's got three in this race, and Lynch has a strong contender. How do you see this uh, playing out between the Brown runners and uh, Oscar performance, uh, performance trained by Lynch? Sure. I know we're a little bit light on time, so I'll try to keep this as concise as I can. Oscar Performance is just a really cool horse. He came back as a four-year-old, set a new track record at Belmont Park in the grade three poker, and anytime you can go a mile on turf faster than elusive quality, you've done something right. I don't think he's ever been better, and he won the Belmont Derby and the Secretariat last year at this distance. I don't think he wants to go further than a mile and a quarter, but I think a mile and a quarter is well within his scope. Robert Bruce got unlucky in the Manhattan last time out. He had no room to run for most of the stretch run and was beaten only a length. The rider switch is certainly noteworthy. And I'll also tout number three, Almanar, who has apparently turned a lot of heads after shipping into Arlington. If the ground is ultra firm, Almanar is going to be tough and is certainly a must-use. But Oscar performance to me is the top pick. The outside post doesn't really concern me. I think he's got enough tactical speed to clear at least most of the field out of the gate. Andrew Champagne, our good friend. We are very lucky to have him. Andrew, I appreciate it, man. You sent me your notes, even with some of the, uh, the races you handicapped last night and made it very easy for us to, to know where you were going. We always appreciate the work you put in. Let us know quickly, where can we follow you on social media? Sure. Uh, Twitter is at Andrew Champagne. My website is andrewchampagne.com. I also handle a lot of the DRF social media channels. The main Twitter account there is at DRF Inside Post. Awesome, Great Andrew, stuff, Andrew. Thank you so much. Hope uh, all the listeners hey, out there got guys. all that. Have a good one. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Hope the listeners enjoyed that as well. Maybe can make a few bucks based on what Andrew just provided us. 
Thank you for joining us. We will be back same time, same place, Gino and I, next week. Have a great sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.